bless you. Thank you, Brother BL and uh, singers for your ministry tonight. You may be seated. Always have something to praise the Lord for, don't we? <laughs> you may be seated, praise the Lord. Amen. And, and whatever he said, I'm going to raise him 10. <laughs> praise the Lord. Amen. Could you schedule a time, Brother Jesse, to talk to them after church is over? <laughs> All right, we'll uh, just make an announcement right here if I could. This coming Friday night, now it's kind of slipped up on us with Easter and everything the way it is, uh, the way it's been. Uh, but this Friday night is our game night, 6 o'clock, here in the, in the uh, cafeteria or in the gym. And so we hope you'll be making your plans to attend with us this coming Friday night at 6 o'clock. You can bring something or you cannot bring anything. You can bring your own game or not bring a game. You can play a game or just gossip. Whatever you'd like to do, uh, come and uh, be a part of that. It's a great time for you to sit across the table. I've learned a lot of names at the game night. So if you don't know everybody's name in the church yet, the game night's a great place for you to come and get acquainted. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. just feel like there's a, a rain that is coming our way. So that's great. Well, I'll, I'll teach until it stops. Maybe not, maybe not. I would, I would like to, uh, well, I'll begin with prayer here. And ask the Lord to minister to us. What's um, most important in, in, I think, in our session is to, to sense the power of God in the word of the Lord. And, and not every subject excites everybody and not every um, song excites everyone. But I think if you can understand that God is speaking, then some things that uh, are said, that need to be said can be a part of what we can benefit from. And so I'm looking forward to the Lord doing a special thing. Some of you think the rain stopped this time for me too. Is that it? <laughs> Praise the Lord. We want, we want to uh, share with you as the Lord has laid on our hearts. This, this has been uh, months really churning inside of me. And um, so I want us to talk about uh, spiritual practices. And they're, you know... Uh, there have been many volumes that have been written about spiritual disciplines. I'm sure you're acquainted with that, and maybe you've read some books on spiritual disciplines, and, and that all, always is kind of a little bit challenging because you have to be disciplined to read those books on spiritual discipline. But the spiritual disciplines that you, um, you might want to list actually end up being, um, for some people at least, it it becomes uh, an opportunity for us to fall into the category of, um, of ritual or the following of uh, certain traditions or uh, completing a, a list or a task uh, of things. So uh, I want to expand it past just a list of uh, things that we should do or should not do. Um, and and I, do, I don't think we need to even debate about how many spiritual disciplines there are. I've read after several authors, and uh, they list various things as spiritual disciplines, but what struck my heart is that we should be actually practicing 
practicing spiritual behavior. And so that's what I hope uh, that the Lord will use me to, um, to share with you guys in a, in a different way maybe than you've thought of before. And most people do think that I present things in a different way. So you might pray for that as well. Let's pray tonight. Eternal Father, we've come to you already in this service asking you to demonstrate your might and your power in our lives. There have been needs that we've brought to you. We've offered up our sacrifice of praise to you. Uh, we've given our offerings uh, before you today. And now as we settle in to hear some things that you might speak to us in our hearts, I pray, God, that you would keep us focused on those things that uh, maybe you're speaking to us individually and not just speaking to us in a general way, not just to the church, but to me. And help me, Lord, to realize that those things are for a purpose because you're etching in every heart. You are carving out of every life those things that are unlike you. And so ultimately, God, your goal for us is to present us uh, like Christ. And that's our hope and our joy. We ask that you would do these things in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, um, I've entitled this Spiritual Disciplines of Kings and Commons. And I really kind of did that uh, just to scare you into saying, What? Are we going to listen to all the practices of the kings? Yes, we're going to study every king of the northern kingdom and every king of the southern kingdom of Israel. And we're going to study everybody that were their subjects. All of the characters of the Bible. And, and we'll go through every person and look at the spiritual practices in their lives and see if it has benefits for us. Some of you are already on to me and the rest of you are sweating. You're looking at the clock and hoping that the rain will quit and we'll get loose. I'm not serious about that. But I would like for us to look eventually at some things that kings even have done that change the course of, nat of, uh, of uh, uh, nations. King David, very um, well aware of the practice that King David had or that all kings had, and that's going to war. And the Bible says in the season or the time of year where kings go to war, David stayed home. And you say, that's not a spiritual practice. I dare say it is a spiritual practice. Because when we're given responsibilities, we should be faithful to those responsibilities. Now, uh, I know that I can sweep a, with a, a broad broom or brush in dealing with that. But that's the kind of things I want us to look at. Um, one of the judges, Samson, we're well uh, acquainted with and familiar uh, with him. But the scriptures tell us about... Uh, some of his spiritual practices. Now, he, he was under a Nazarite vow uh, to drink no wine and, and not to cut his hair and uh, so on like that. And you would think that would be easy, just a couple of things. But he had trouble with that because he had trouble with the passions of his heart. The things he loved drew him aside. He fell in love with women that uh, were not uh, according to what God's plan was. Uh, for his life and the instructions that God had given him for his life and his parents who passed those things along to him. Uh, and so uh, we can look at those kinds of things. Every um, king of the Bible, um, and I don't want to get too far ahead today and, and say too much, but 
every king of the Bible will give you a synopsis, or in the scriptures it'll give you a synopsis like, and this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's spiritual activity, practice, behavior. Or this king uh, did good according to his father David, or uh, to um, uh, the, the, his father, his grandfather ahead of him. Those spiritual practices were passed along uh, in the family, and that example was, um, was offered and followed. So as we study this tonight, I want us to um, address a few questions. Uh, we won't get through the whole Bible tonight. We probably won't get through all of this lesson tonight. And that's why I made up so many copies, so that next week you can have a copy wherever we are. We'll start on that, and others who may be able to join us next week. But let's look together at the first question. That's uh, Q1. Do you identify more with kings or with the kings or with the commons? Now, um, uh, you might say, well, there needs to be a third category. I identify with pawn scum. So I'm below kings, below um, uh, the commons, and, and uh, I'm somewhere in there close to pawn scum. Well, our, uh, our identity... Uh, our self-identification is a huge thing in how we operate our lives. Now you think for a minute. Um, there have been so many personality studies, the middle kid uh, syndrome and the, the eldest and the youngest child and all those things, and you can find plenty of data to prove just about anything you want to prove. And that's probably true in a, in a lot of different areas. You know, we can, um, that's why I don't believe any of the polls, by the way. Don't believe any of the polls because polls are just like emotions. They're changing. So it depends on how the questions are asked and when they're asked, whether I'm hungry or not, those kinds of things. Uh, those will change my, um, my opinion as I'm sharing it with other people. So I wanted to think uh, tonight about uh, how I feel about myself, whether I have low self-esteem or whether I have large ego, large self-esteem. Now, we often see ourselves differently than God or anybody else in the world sees us. We kind of have sometimes uh, people who put themselves up on a pedestal and, and uh, they're grand, they're, you know, they're, they're wonderful in their own eyes. And, uh, and so we see people presenting themselves in, in that way. Oftentimes it's because they don't really feel deeply uh, that they are of any value. So they're continuing to try to prove that they're of value. Maybe those things stem from low self-esteem rather than really the large uh, size ego. But we need to be considering not only how we see ourselves, but how other people see us and how God looks at us. And so I want us to look at that a little bit. Uh, we uh, shape our image and identity by the choices that we make. We make choices with regards to our appearance, with regards to our associations, and, regards, and with regards to our activities. I choose every day things uh, that keep me represented with a certain uh, identity or a certain um, persona, if you will. And so I was thinking about that. My image and identity oftentimes needs to, um, to be protected. And, uh, and so... I, I looked at society and how we consider our identity, how important our looks are. I don't, didn't even waste time on 
uh, the research of how much is spent on beauty products. I, uh, I didn't waste any time uh, on how much is spent on equipment that goes in the bedroom that the pedals are supposed to work, but, you know, it, it's really good to hang your clothes on, you know, when you uh, come in at night and kick your shoes under it and kind of clean the room by moving things to that uh, exercise cycle that uh, is better than anybody else, you know, anybody else's. And you can save half the money and still spend twice what it's worth. If anybody's into math, you can figure that out. And so what are you like inside? Are you relaxed or slouchy? You can slice uh, people in every different category. In fact, I don't think that there are just two kinds of people. I think there are three kinds of, at least three kinds of people. And, um, and so maybe I won't go too far into that, but um, if you, uh, boy, it's going to be hard to get that off my mind now, but if the paper towels have to come forward for you, uh, then you're a certain kind of personality, and if it has to go the other direction um, for you, then you're a certain kind of personality. And we were laughing about how that's, you know, that discussion takes place in a lot of different families. And um, so this lady actually was at the doctor's office, and so we were talking there waiting uh, to, um, uh, to get our, our blood uh, test done. And, and so she said, well, I'm not either of those personalities. She said, I just turn the roll up on the side, and that way you can, you know, I'm not caught up in this forward or backward thing. Well, I found out that now there are really more than three kinds of people because our paper towel roll has a rack and it stands on the counter. But if I put it in, it comes from the left. And if my wife puts it in, it comes from the right. So there are at least four different kinds of personalities. And so all of those things we do for our image or for, uh, to establish our identity uh, sometimes are even in conflict because in our world it's extremely important that we are like everyone else in a unique way. You have to be yourself and be like everybody else. What a challenging uh, responsibility that that uh, is. Uh, are you relaxed or uh, slouchy? Are you uh, conflicted with conforming to uh, the unique, uh, to uh, everybody else's uh, idea of what's, um, you know, normal? in your own unique way. Now, see if you can relate to any of this. Uh, torn dress jeans. Okay? Uh, jeans and dress didn't go together in the vocabulary when I was being raised. And torn, uh, it would never have uh, happened because when we tore our jeans, my mom had patches that she put on them. And so if I just could find those jeans now, I could make a whole lot of money. Um, this is a huge topic, really, and I'm trying my best to butcher it up so you can think of the right things to illustrate it. But our, our appearance is so important, and it affects how people see us. It affects how we um, uh, consider and see ourselves and what people are saying about us because it is important what people are, will say about you and me. In fact, uh, it's interesting uh, if we lived our lives wondering what people would say about us at our funeral, wouldn't that be an interesting uh, thing? I told uh, somebody in the office today that at my funeral, I'd like for them to say that this was one of my favorite quotes. 
and it's original as far as I know, that a smile has no language barriers. So I don't know how soon my funeral will be next week or the week after, but let somebody say that this guy said a smile um, has no language barriers. So what are people going to say about you, uh, your appearances, your presentation, your identity, and so on? The second choice that we make, I think, of consideration here is our associations. Who do you hang with? Who gets your time? Um, how do people see you? I laughingly say sometimes when I come up upon a few people that are gathered together, I said, oh, this looks like a great clique. I want to be a part of that. The truth is we all kind of gather in some way or another with some kind of identification or another, and that's not really all bad. You cannot meet with everyone at every occasion. There's no way that we could all go uh, to the restaurant and eat together. I guess we could all bring our lunch, you know, in a brown bag or something and sit down, but there would be people you wouldn't talk to throughout the whole meal. So that's really not, that, that shouldn't be a criticism lodged against people. If you want to click, start one. If you want to be close to people, be friendly. The Bible says if you're going to have friends, you must show yourself friendly. My goodness, I'm going to have to preach, teach some more in here and just kind of get everybody warmed back up to this. But our association makes a huge difference. In fact, my, my mother used to say, birds of a feather flock together. Nobody's ever heard that, I don't guess. Birds of a feather flock together. Well, that's not in the Bible, but Annie Laurie said it, and it's good as God's word is for sure. What it's saying there, I think, is we'll be associated by the people we hang out with. Our associations will influence us, or we will influence them. Oh, there's a whole congregation over here. I haven't even looked over here uh, yet. So there you are. Look at those associations over there. Would you want to run with any of these characters? It certainly would affect your life, and maybe in a, in a better way than right now the people you're running with. Get into a good click over here to the right. So there are good practices <laughs> and there are bad practices. And then the third area of our choices is with regards to activities, and that's the one I really want to zero in on because the Bible says that even a child is known by his doings. I don't think that you need much of a translation uh, or interpretation of the scripture there. It says even children are identified by what they do, their choices of activities, their behaviors, the things they will or will not do, whether they pitch a fit or whether they comply. Uh, we identify everybody based on what um, choices they make with regards to activities, their priorities. Uh, what gets on your activity list? A lot of us want to belong to all the clubs at school or at college, but we really don't have time to go to all the meetings. We want to be on every um, athletic team, but we really are not willing to uh, do the disciplines that are required uh, to uh, play that sport or become a part of that uh, activity. We want to make great grades but not study. Uh, we want to find ourselves in a position of being popular without really liking people. I don't know if any of this is getting through, but I'm under conviction already about some of these things. Every child, even a child, is known by what he does, and so are we. Now, the second question is, what are spiritual pr practices? 
Now you might say a spiritual practice would be the operation of spiritual gifts in the church or the fruit of the Spirit or the working of miracles or uh, some uh, uh, spiritual role or responsibility in the church. Spiritual really is uh, that which pertains to the Spirit. So spiritual um, practices would be those practices that are affected by that are affected by some spirit. Now, um, every spirit is not a godly spirit. Every spirit is not a good spirit. There are spirits of the flesh and spirit, uh, spirits of uh, the uh, the spirit of the evil one. So, uh, it, it may be an it may be an exhaustive list. May not be an exhaustive list based on how we interpret, or it may be an exhaustive list depending on how we interpret what spiritual is. We often think of spiritual gifts as those super, as uh, gifts are the activities of the super spiritual. Isn't that what spiritual practices are? The operation of those who are super spiritual. Or we could say odd. Those odd Christians. And nobody wants to be an odd Christian, right? Nobody wants to be an odd Christian, so we don't even have to worry about spiritual practices because we are not a super Christian. We're not super spiritual. I just hope this is resonating uh, with people out there, is that so many times we are trying to disqualify ourselves from doing or being responsible to do anything spiritual. I love this. I just love this. Okay, you can tell. All right, well, I want to be able to go a little further with this. Some are even quick to say that our choices and behavior don't really matter to God since he loves us unconditionally. So what we do doesn't even matter. Some would have you say it doesn't matter what you do because God loves us unconditionally. Now this is my own personal philosophy, but while God loves us unconditionally, his grace is conditional. He says, if you will on some things, I will. Jesus Christ was certainly slain for our sins, but... If you want to move into the areas of grace and benefits, you have to continue in the things of God because if you don't continue in them, the Bible says, then you are outside of God's grace and favor. So I know this is getting into doctrine. I'll try not to push too hard on that. But uh, since God loves us uh, unconditionally, he doesn't even see the sins that we commit. I can't really believe that about God either. So our pet fear, uh, our pet fears, excuse me, um, are not quieted by the truth of God's word. Uh, God does expect some things of us. He expects us to operate under the practices of the spirit of God. Now the third question is, what are carnal practices? They're practices um, that, w- that we uh, endeavor and, and do in the realm of uh, the spiritual, the good spiritual, and then what would be the patterns that we might see in, in uh, carnal practices, things that are motivated by the flesh, carnal living. Now, stay with me here because many of us are carving out an excuse or a reason for us to continue to live in a carnal way when God says if you live that way, you're going to die. 
those who do those things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And I know that's really strong preaching, but I believe God wants a change of behavior in us that can only come about by the transformational work of the Holy Spirit. Then we begin to do spiritual works instead of carnal works. The deeds of the flesh, the Bible talks about, are these. And the fruit of the Spirit are these. So these carnal practices that take place demonstrate whether our focus and our motivation is of the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the flesh or the Spirit of the evil one. Uh, and so from that context, perhaps all behavior can be considered spiritual. So we're not exempted from doing some spiritual behavior. But is it spiritual uh, is it a good spiritual practice or is it a bad, poor, and damaging spiritual practice? Now, the word practices has to do with the pattern of repeated behavior. It is evident that ev in every area of our culture, everybody has certain practices, things that are expected of you. It's a part of our culture. You've heard practice makes perfect. Now, um, my, my mother had 10 children, and... Um, you know, she and my dad finally got to me, number 10, and said, now, that's perfect. And, uh, okay, I'm joking about that, too. But what we used to do is modify that. Practice makes more better. Okay, that, that doesn't work either for you. All right, the goal, then, in this repeating of any motion or activity or behavior uh, is so that it becomes automatic. You don't have to think of it. It's not cognitive. But it's, um, it's natural and second nature for you. Now, how do you illustrate that? Can you tell me what some of the practices are that become second nature to you? Okay, you don't have a microphone, so I'm going to tell you what you're thinking right now. One is the playing of musical instruments. I love to have, uh, see people who are, who are able to use their talents and their fingers are long enough to play the piano. And uh, so when I... When I see that and hear that happening, I, I'm always wondering how in the world can they move all of those fingers and they're watching this line here and they're four, six, eight, ten, how many ever notes at the same time and so they're playing with these fingers and they're moving as if they are not thinking of every individual note and they aren't because the hand is being trained even as you practice on all of those um, sessions, all of those hours until that pattern becomes, that repeated pattern of behavior becomes um, something that um, is second nature. It's automatic. And then what about athletes that compete? Um, bas in basketball, you shoot free throws over and over again, 100 free throws, and, and you practice three-point shots and right under the basket. And, uh, it, you know, it, it's... Um, Maybe I shouldn't take time to talk about this, but our middle child was a, a pretty good athlete, and she played basketball way after uh, she should have because when I was playing in high school, a uh, girls' basketball court was divided into halves, and you had defensive players and had offensive players. But Kelly's coming along, and the, there's a full court, and she was a tremendous defensive player. She could steal the ball, she could dribble, and she'd steal the ball and dribble down the court. And when she got to the other end, she would put up a layup that would bounce back to the free throw line. And I said, just practice standing right under the basket and shooting. Most shots are taken right under the basket. 
So it would be great to figure out exactly the point you can hit on the backboard to make that shot. Practices with regards to anything from uh, pool uh, to fishing, throwing the, um, the uh, fishing line out there, uh, casting your line into the water, all those things are enhanced by that repeated behavior and equips you to do whatever you're wanting to do at a higher efficiency because your muscles are being trained to do uh, without thinking that that you're calling upon them to do. Keyboarding and texting. Have you ever seen people who, who uh, text with their thumbs like this? I'm sure that they're going to have arthritis in those fingers as they grow older. And me, I believe uh, the hunt and peck that I have on the typewriter should always also be the hunt and peck on the smartphone as well. And so I was telling somebody, is there a way, you know, you can get these lit letters and, and uh, numbers uh, bigger because sometimes I press with this finger and it hits two things at once or hit them, hits them out of order. So they said, well, you can turn the phone this way and then you can get a little bit bigger screen. Well, I take all of that advice that I can so that my repeated behavior becomes my pattern and it becomes second nature and I don't have to think about it. We see that there are religious and, and business and personal practices, traditions, protocols, and policies. It's in everything you get involved with. Everything has practices, policies, uh, procedures, protocols. Everywhere you work, everywhere you go, there are certain rules about church, written and unwritten. And so every place has those practices. You can do those things, you can practice those things, uh, and you can become more proficient as a member of that particular business or that particular community. Um, Jesus said, or the scripture said of Jesus, as was his custom. As was his practice. Jesus practiced what he preached. He practiced. He knew the word of God and practiced the word of God. He was tempted in all points, just like we are, the Bible says, yet without sin. So we know that he had to install in his life, and that's in the physical realm. He didn't overcome temptation spirit, uh, by the spirit. It wasn't because he was God that he overcame temptation. He was 100% flesh and man. He overcame temptations in this flesh. God expects that of us as well. Peter and John at the hour of prayer, the Bible says. There's a spiritual practice of going to church at the hour of prayer. And uh, the, the Jewish uh, calendar has many feast days and, and uh, fast days, if you will. And three times a year is set aside for men to come together um, before God. And so who sets these times? Who puts things in order? And who practices those things? Well, the people who practice those things are the ones who want to set their house, their lives in order until they're doing the things that are pleasing to God and, and not just to men. So there's, there are traditions and there are structure, there's boundaries, there are rules, and uh, people who want these things to become second nature to them, the new nature the Christ nature, uh, the new creation in Christ Jesus, excuse me, those are the ones who practice these things. Now, you've often heard, I'm sure, that a choice...
becomes a behavior, and a behavior becomes a pattern, and a pattern becomes a habit, and a habit becomes a character. So this is all about the progression of things. It's all about our, our realizing that the things we practice uh, will take a, uh, a stronghold uh, in our lives. It'll take a grip, and it'll uh, find its way into the things um, that make up our core values, if you will. Now, knowing, believing, being, and doing, I talk about those gerunds quite a bit, but what we know leads us to what we believe, and what we believe leads us to choices about who we're willing to become, and then who we are determines what we do. Knowing determines your believing, believing determines your being, and being determines what you do or your doing. So the change uh, the factors of change in our lives, if we are going um, to do these spiritual practices, then there are certain factors we need to be aware of. In fact, that's the first one, awareness. Somebody has to let you know about the condition you are in, right? That's why my wife doesn't let me go out of the house without checking me over, you know. And, and she used to say... Um, be safe or drive safely. Now she says, have you brushed and gargled? Maybe that's too much information. But why would someone laugh about uh, lettuce between the teeth of someone they love and not just say, hey, you got lettuce in your teeth? Why wouldn't we do that? Becoming aware of your situation My family won't be back after, <laughs> after tonight. You have to become aware of something before there's any possibility of changing that. And in fact, that's what the mirror does, right? And, and you can tell that most people only have a, a single mirror. I mean, I shouldn't say most people. There are a lot of people who only have a single mirror. And we know that when we, we, when we stand behind someone. You know, we see that they have slept exactly where they've slept. You got the, you know, and so, but you can't see that. And so you can't change that until you become aware of it. Please hang with me. I believe there are some spiritual principles in this. Don't you think that God wants us to be aware when we do wrong? He installed a conscience within us that says, hey, no, 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 don't do that. And if you really love someone, that's what you do. You prevent them as best you can from doing something wrong. If the bridge is out and the car is going that way, you know, you can say, well, he's not going to have a good day. You know, this is not going to end well for him, or there's going to be a big backup here, and I'm not going to be able to get to the grocery store or whatever. No, that's not what you do. You get out in the street and you make people aware. Hello, the bridge is out. You're in for trouble. Please don't continue down that path. Why is it we don't do the same thing with people we love? You need to be careful of that behavior. Think about what you're doing. In fact, my parents, and I've said many times, my mom, had a, she's got a well-rounded, or she had a well-rounded approach to our discipline. She grabbed me by one arm, and she started switching at my bare legs as I ran around her. A well-rounded disciplinary program at our house. 
And here's, I hate to hear these words, and maybe you do as well. Are you going to do it anymore? Well, no, Mom. <laughs> you think I'm stupid? Answer, yes or no, you're going to do it anymore. And if I did do it anymore, she'd say, you go pick the switch this time. And I might pick a real small switch. That's a mistake, by the way. If you ever get one of those lessons and God says, I'm going to let you pick the switch, don't pick the, sm the small ones. Because those small ones sting so bad, and the big ones just break up, and they just throw it out and say, okay, it's, my switch is broken. Watch out for <laughs> the kind of, uh, actually, King David had a chance to pick, didn't he? Uh, well, can't go back. We're just going forward here. But that awareness is essential. And then once you become aware of the lettuce in your teeth, you've got to acknowledge it. Once you become aware of your need, you have to recognize, acknowledge, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See? God is trying to make us aware of our sins, and then we have to acknowledge that. We can't just say, well, I know that Jesus died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. He doesn't really care what I do. Yes, he does. Do you not care what your children do if they're headed off the cliff? Do you say, well, you know, it's okay. You know, they, they always land on their feet. No, none of us would say that. Neither is God saying that. God is not saying that. He wants us to acknowledge our sins. He wants us to become aware of them and then acknowledge them, which means we confess them. And then we make adjustments in our lives with the things we do, our practices, because even a child is known by his doings, the, the deeds of his life, the decisions of his life, even a child. And then Matthew 23, 23 says, These things, in parenthesis, ought you to have done and not to have left the others undone so there are some things we need to do and there are some things we need to refrain from doing and so that ought I love that word ought just shows you how old I am perhaps but um, God is lining it out for us there's no doubt he's making us aware and he is uh, asking us to acknowledge that, that there are some things that should and should not be done behavioral changes come with the realization that we have to make an adjustment. I got to change. Now, I know my wife can't change me. She, she's worked hard, bless her heart, for 46 years. But she can't really change me. She can only change herself. But I can change me. God can change me. And so when I acknowledge, become aware of the things in my life that need to change, acknowledging that, then I can make the decision, the commitment to make an adjustment. And there are things that I need to do and then things I need to not do. You ever wonder how God sees us and what he expects of us? Putting on the whole arm of God is not just something professional Christians do. Hello. Putting on the whole arm of God is not just something for the professional Christians. God not only sees what we see, but he sees more than we see. Thank the Lord he sees potential in me. Praise God, I am a promise, I am a possibility. God sees something in me I haven't seen in myself. He sees a sense of purpose. He knows the plans that he has towards us. This is God's work 
He knows our practice. He sees our passion. And our passion produces desire, and our desire produces behavior, and our behavior produces practice. The doing of the things that God's called upon us to do. Now, the highest spiritual practice for me in my well-thought-out position here is to represent Christ in the world. That means everything I do is a spiritual practice. That means when I smile when I don't feel like it, it's a spiritual practice. That means when I respond favorably instead of with retort, it's a spiritual practice. Because the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'm going to do the vengeance. You just do the right thing. So our spiritual practices are to represent Christ in the world. Our failure to perform this task is often blamed on Satan. The devil made me do that. Adam and Eve were blamers. Our great-great-grandparents were blamers. Adam blamed it on Eve. Eve blamed it on the devil. And the truth is, if she had not wanted to be like God and just wanted to know good, she'd have still, and we'd have still been pretty good, pretty well off today. She already knew good. Everything God made was good, and he saw it for six days, and he looked at it and said, it's good. And Adam and Eve saw everything good. And so here is a piece of fruit, and, and uh, Satan says to her, you won't surely die, but you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Oh, Lord, help us. So our failure to perform this task cannot be blamed on Satan. It cannot be blamed on our parents. If you're of age, you're responsible for your behavior. I could say Willie and Annie Laurie messed up. I could say that. But then again, they're not responsible for me. I'm responsible for me. The Bible says there's been a saying that the children have eaten um, grapes, excuse me, the fathers have eaten grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But the Bible says, now I'm telling you, every man everywhere is going to be accountable for their own sins. That's where we are today, folks. Whatever you do, you'll be accountable for what you do. If we claim to be Christians, how should we now be living? Coming in that door, whether you're claiming to be a Christian or not, there are people who think you are. And everything you do becomes a spiritual practice. Aren't we uh, a little bit relieved when other Christians fall? When we see other Christians falter? especially those high-profile spiritual leaders. Our failures are somehow vindicated, and it seems to prove that the standard is too high for us mere men. It further justifies our own future shortcomings. After all, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you're looking for an excuse, you'll find one. But at the end, it won't be worth a flip. Because the Bible says... 
that we're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll be without excuse. Isn't that a joyful message I preach tonight? This is just a lot of shouting going on. Now, I want to remind you that Satan does not need a large place in your life, in your mind, in your heart. He just, to build a stronghold, he just needs a dark one. Satan doesn't need a large place. He just needs a dark one, and he can build a stronghold that you'll have difficulty getting out of. What do you mean by a dark place? I mean where you're protecting the, yourself from the light of the truth, where you're telling a lie every time it comes around, where you're finding yourself um, unwilling to share with anyone a particular behavior, activity, or habit, where you're protecting yourself. No one wants to be vulnerable, but no one should want to go to hell. He that covereth his sins, the Bible says, will not prosper. I know we have the body, mind, and spirit, the physical realm, and the will, and our emotions. But it is so important, greatly important, that we are willing to pursue accuracy and articulate clearly what the Word of God says. Shine the light of the truth on every decision you make. Shine the light of the truth on everything you decide to do. Look at the motive. Ask the questions. We talked about that for some number of weeks. Ask the right question. Get a different perspective. Change your perception. And by the way, there are no stupid questions. You've heard people say, that's a stupid question. No, it's not. In fact, without a question... The answer is just irrelevant and meaningless information. If you don't have a question, you don't have uh, relevant. The answer, I should say, is irrelevant. I'm going to mark that down. Oh, yeah, I did already. I may have thought of that myself, but I can't remember. And then a tree... As a tree is bent, I'm sure this isn't a Bible because I've looked and looked. If you can find it, I'd love to be able to put a reference to it. But Mama said, as a tree is bent, so shall it grow. If you can find that in the Bible, let me know because I'd like, like to put it in my notes here. But even a small tree can be planted crooked but grow straight. Now, how is that going to happen? You know the ball of a tree, it gets put in cockeyed. I hope you're acquainted with that phrase, you know. And, and the tree can be going this way. Maybe it's planted on a hill or whatever. You know what will happen? You can put um, cables on that tree and bring it into line. And that and the sunlight can make that tree grow directly up or straight, if you'll continue my analogy there. But a, even a small tree that's planted, planted crookedly, can grow straight if the tension is right on it. Now, I have this last question. What is bending, influencing you? In what direction are you now growing? If you believe, as I do, that our greatest, highest spiritual practice is to represent Christ in the world, then the true impartation uh, is teaching. 
the true impartation of Christ in the world is teaching. And we teach by precept and example. I'm the teacher here tonight. But every one of you are teachers. Because people are watching what you do. And what you say. So teach what you know. And don't hoard what you know. Tell your story. Tell his story. Teachers who lie teach others to lie. Gives permission and consent for others to do the same as your behavior because we are teaching by precept and example. So what's influencing you? What's pushing you in a particular direction? And then how are you growing in what direction are you growing? Now, maybe this is too much uh, background, too much introduction, but I felt like it's something that I needed to say before we establish what the spiritual practices are. Because they are, in your life, whatever you are doing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Our deeds, our deeds, the choices that we make for association appearances and our activities all are spiritual practices whether you're king or common or pawn scope our behavior our practices that's what people see and that's who we become <coughs> somebody said that oh now his uh name slipped out of my, my mind professional from here in Middletown basketball player J yeah uh, Jerry Jerry Lucas uh, they said that there were people who would see him shooting on the basketball court and they said what's so special about him he's hardly ever um, making any baskets and they said he's not practicing basket making he's not practicing his shot he's practicing the rebound he wants to see where, how the ball bounces off of the backboard and off of the rim. Those practices, those hours that are spent in learning that make a difference between nominal Christians and ones who are representing Christ in a powerful way in the place where God has planted you. Can we stand, please? Eternal Father, we thank you for the power of your grace that has reached us tonight. And I know, Lord, you can take the humble sacrifice of my words tonight and make them life to someone else. You can cause them, Lord, to look over my humanity and see your divinity. And I ask, Lord, that you would take the truth of your word and let it shine like a bright spotlight on my behavior, my choices, and even my motives. Because after all, I am representing you. I want to represent you well. I want to be all that you've called me to be. I want to be successful in turning the lives of people around by showing them the way of righteousness. Not just saying, this is the way. Lead us in a plain path, Lord Jesus. And always walk alongside of us. Just ahead of us. And behind us. So that we might do all things for the glory of he who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said, glory. Amen.
dismissed. 